You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. So, 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're kind of studying the demise of Saul. There are some great things sprinkled in, some good examples. And in the next chapter, we're going to get to King David, who is just a great example, right? A man after God's own heart, so many good things to say. And yet even he was imperfect and made some pretty huge mistakes. And so ultimately, we look to Jesus, the perfect king the perfect king, the one without sin. And he who knew no sin became sin for us on that tree, on the cross. He took it. And so we look to him ultimately and we don't put sinful man on a pedestal. And so Saul here in our uh, last chapter, in uh, chapter 14, we actually split it up into two parts, didn't we? The first part was that great victory that Jonathan had against the Philistines as he stepped out in faith and just he and his armor bearer went against a garrison of Philistines, the Philistine army that was gathered there at Michmash. Yes, fun, Michmash. They melted away. But then as they were being routed by the Israelite army, remember Saul made that rash oath? He said, anybody that eats today before um, evening until I've avenged all my enemies will be cursed. And so the people were faint and tired and they had less of a victory than they would had he not made that, that rash oath. And then Jonathan tasted some honey, didn't he? Un- unknown to him that that he would be under this curse. And Saul got all upset about that and wanted to kill his own son, but the people spared him. And so there was a great victory against the Philistines and then everybody went home and now God is going to call Saul to another battle, another opportunity to do it right, to get it right. How's he gonna do? let's find out. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice, uh, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Whoa, completely wipe these people out. So when it says come and punish Amalek, it's talking about a people group, the descendants of a man named Amalek. Now what was Amalek's offense? It tells us in the Old Testament scriptures, and Samuel spoke of this, that they came against Israel as they were coming out of Egypt and into the promised land. Uh, Exodus 17 
14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now the context in which God is speaking this is when the Amalekites came against Israel. They were heading for the promised land. And then they arranged themselves in battle against Israel and Joshua was sent with an army to fight against them. This is that battle where Moses sat on a rock and he noticed that, remember, whenever he would lift his arms up, then the Israelites would win. And then whenever he put them down, they would lose. And so he had to keep his arms up. And he got so tired that he sat on a rock and Aaron and her held up his arms for him. And there's a wonderful message in there and a wonderful lesson, but we're not going to get into that today. So they had their, their victory that day against the Amalekites. God even caused the sun to stand still that day so that Joshua could have a complete victory. But because of their offense against the Israelites, God said that they were to utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Let's look at one more scripture on this. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. You guys can turn to this one if you'd like. Get a little Bible exercise in there. Get the blood in your fingers moving. Deuteronomy 25, 17. Moses is is uh, speaking to the children of Israel just before they go into the promised land and reminds them of some things. One of those things is what the people of Amalek did against them and that how they are to be instruments of God's vengeance against them when they come into the land. And so it says in Deuteronomy 25:17, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. They were coming behind and getting the slow people, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven you shall not forget. This was a command of God. And, he, and remember that it said earlier in Exodus seventeen fourteen that he was to write this down in the hearing of Joshua, because Joshua was going in to conquer the land. You might remember in the book of Joshua that there was not a complete obedience. They did not drive out all the people from the land the way that they were supposed to. And so there were people who remained to test them, and they fell to the worship of false gods because of the influence of these Canaanites that they did not completely destroy and they did not completely drive out of the land. And now they have King Saul and King Saul is told you need to accomplish what was the failure that happened centuries before. And so the descendants of these people 
are under the judgment of God because of the decision of their parents, but also their ongoing sin. They continued to rebel against God. They continued to worship false gods. And the activity of that worship was manifested in sexual sin and in child sacrifice. They were very much in rebellion against God and unrepentant for what they had done. And it was now time for them to face judgment from the Lord. This was a delayed judgment. You know, God's judgment's coming. Sometimes we wonder as we look around, like David in the Psalms, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Why do these people, everything seems to be great with the wicked. When are you going to judge them? And he says, don't worry, the time is coming. There will be a day of reckoning for each and every one of us. Good for, for those who have Jesus Christ as their Savior and who have acted in faith and then punishment for the wicked. The day is coming, friends, and we can know that and believe it in faith. Amalek is a type. They're a type. They're emblematic of the flesh and its desires in our lives. They're one of many examples of God treating people groups like individuals, rewards and punishments and discipline, you see? So just as God treats individuals this way, when we look at people groups in the Bible, we see that God treats them that way too because people groups are made of individuals. And when a people group rebels against God, he brings judgment on the whole group or rewards for the whole group. And this is why as we look around in America today, there's such a battle. We, we want to see America make good choices so that we will be blessed. We want to see America be on the moral right. And also because we care for, for the people who are hurt and damaged by the sin that we see around us. Because God, he doesn't make rules for no reason. He loves us. And so he says, hey, here's some rules for you to live by, people whom I have created. Here's an owner's manual for you so that you can optimize your operation and be blessed. And as people turn away from it and say, no, we're going we're gonna to cast off restraint. I don't want to be a train on the tracks anymore. I want to go play in the fields. And so I'm going to jump off the tracks and do my own thing and shake my fist at God and say, no, God, I'm going to do my thing. And as we do that as a nation, then we come under his judgment. And we also come under natural consequences. But we know in our hearts that God will not tolerate that and that judgment will come. And that's why so many of us get fired up, don't we? <laughs> come on, let's repent, people. The problem is, is you can't legislate the heart. That's the problem. We can make lots of rules, which, which are good. It's good to have laws and to bring legislation. We want to make rules, don't abort babies. That's a good rule. Babies are people, don't kill them, please. Please. 
And if you do, there's a consequence for that. We like that rule. But what happens when there's 30 people that like that rule and there's half a billion that don't? You know, you see what I'm saying? And what happens when you're just trying to force your way on the majority? We need a revival. We need heart change. And that's the best kind of change is for people to to collectively agree together that this is not behavior that's acceptable in our culture. We need revival, friends. Now, we know that there's going to there is going to be an end to revivals and Jesus will come back to an earth that is dark and far from him. But man, we can have personal revivals and, and we, can, you, we can have a revival in Anaheim, in Calvary Chapel, Anaheim. We can see God move and do wonderful, great things. And that's my prayer, friends. That's my prayer. And if not, Jesus, come back quickly. In Jesus' name, we need his kingdom on this earth, and we need it now. Amen. So the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, speaking specifically of Israel, but also seen of other nations in the Bible and in history. There's a general rule that when a society, a civilization becomes immoral, they fall. Greece, Rome, Egypt. Let me read this to you. It's, it's from an article. Why, it's called Why Decline Matters, the Philadelphia Trumpet, July 2017. I don't even know if this is a Christian article. <laughs> but it, it's, right, it's, it's truth, though. This is truth. A year before the U.S. Constitution was ratified, Edward Gibbon published the final volume of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Gibbon identified five major causes behind the fall of one of history's greatest empires. Declining demographics didn't make the list. That would be shrinking population. Nor did insufficient technology or climate change. His first fundamental factor was the breakdown of the family. Then he listed increased taxation, an insatiable craving for pleasure, an unsustainable buildup of armaments, and the decay of religion. According to Gibbon, the root cause of Roman societal collapse was their loss of civic virtue and individual morality. Gibbon believed the laws of morality were as unchanging as the laws of mathematics and physics. If you become an immoral people, you will fall. You cannot be sustained as a people. And this is why when we look around at America today, we're grieved. Our hearts grieve. And so does the heart of God. Listen to this. This was written in 2002, 20 years ago. In recent decades, America, while claiming in God we trust on its coinage, outlawed the posting of the Ten Commandments in public places. The Western media has become increasingly hostile to Judeo-Christian values. That was 20 years ago. Public schools demand value neutrality. Religious leaders are increasingly prone to ambiguity and compromise in vital areas of doctrine and morals. 
The result has been a surge in divorce, cohabitation, sexual promiscuity, perversion, teen pregnancy, abortions, child abuse, drug abuse, rape, cheating, shoplifting, embezzling, bankruptcy, incivility, and violent crime. The very things God prophesied would happen to nations that forsake his laws. And friends, we've gone down a lot further in the last 20 years, haven't we? We have. And so our hearts grieve because of this. And we know that there will be a day of reckoning if we don't repent, get this, from our hearts. From our hearts. This has got to be a work of God. This has got to be a gospel work because no matter how hard a people try, without God's work, without the Holy Spirit, they will fail. We need a move and a work of God. We need to pray for this. And friends, how did Jesus do it? He came to the earth and he loved people. He loved them. Love first. Yes, go vote. Yes, be politically involved. But first, love love, whatever that looks like. And sometimes love must be tough as we're reading in the scriptures now because God says, hey, Samuel, tell Saul to wipe them out completely. Friends, we're in under grace. We're in the age of grace, the church age. God is not going to tell you to go kill people, okay? He's not. What happened in Texas absolute sickening sin, diabolical, demonic. These are Old Testament times. God's dispensation and the way he dealt with people was different, and he is using his people, his chosen people, to be an instrument of punishment and vengeance in this situation against Amalek, just like he sent a flood to wipe out the entire population of the world in the time of Noah. Okay, similar. Verse 4 now, we're back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Verse 4, so Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Verse 7, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. What do you think God was doing when this was happening? What do you think he was feeling as he looked on and the armies of Israel carried out his command to do this? Well, this is what the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 33:11 He says say to them as I live says the Lord God 
I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? He was saying this to Israel, but this is how he feels about people, about mankind, and about his creation. He is sad to see people die. It saddens him to send people to hell, but he as a just God must or he would not be a just God. And therefore, he makes hard decisions, decisions that hurt him, decisions that make him feel pain, emotional pain, because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves people and therefore to have to punish them so terribly hurts him. It pains him, but he makes the right decisions despite that. And dads, we have to make tough decisions sometimes, don't we? In our homes, we do. We have to make tough decisions. And, and it hurts us sometimes to make some of the decisions we have to make with our kids, disciplining our kids when they're doing wrong and things like that, pointing them in the right direction. We don't want to do it. My dad always used to say before he spanked me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I believe him now. At the time, maybe not so much. But, but this is how God feels when he is exercising justice. It, it hurts him. It says here in verse 9, though, verse 9, but Saul and the people, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. Uh-oh, he wasn't completely obedient. It says the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. Everything that he was supposed to wipe out, remember Amalek is emblematic of the flesh, of sin in our lives. And we have to be brutal with sin. And when God says, go against the flesh, and make sure none of it remains, not even the little animals, get it out of your life. The New Testament says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. One bad apple, right? And so we are not to tolerate sin in our lives. We're not to say, well, I've gotten rid of this and, and that and the other, but there's this one thing that's kind of my thing. It's my vice. It's my precious. And I'm going to protect it. And it will grow and it will fester and it will infest and it will kill in the end. And so Saul and the people do a very bad thing here. 
and incomplete obedience is disobedience. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me. He's backslidden. And has not performed my commandments. He's disobeyed me. And so I regret that I have set him up as king. God regretted? God regretted. Now, this is not an admission of having made a mistake. You and I say, I regret that I fill in the blank. And for us, that's, that's like a confession of, I should not have done that. It was a mistake that I made. God does not make mistakes. He is sovereign God. But here this word regret means sorrowed. I greatly sorrowed that I have set up Saul as king. The action that God is doing is making him sorrowful. It's making him sad. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.